Hello, it's Trish and Heather here and we're home design coaches and founders of The Scribble Club. The Scribble Club is an online community for people who like design, healthy and functional homes and are looking for creative inspiration from professional designers. We're so excited to announce our brand new podcast called The Sketchy Ladies. Our podcast is a mix of design and building advice from inside the industry. You'll get simple tips and tricks to help you overcome your design challenges with creative solutions. You'll learn how to create spaces you've always dreamed of but never had the confidence to design. We value beautiful, functional, healthy homes and that's what we're here to help you discover. As qualified designers and busy mums, we understand how your health, sanity and well-being can benefit from a well-designed home. There's no need to settle for second best. Each week you'll get some tips and tricks to help improve the spaces inside and outside your home. Make sure you subscribe to the Sketchy Ladies podcast and this way you won't miss an episode. You can find links to all of the episodes and other goodies at thescribbleclub.com forward slash podcast. The Sketchy Ladies podcast is here to help you create your dream home. Let's make it happen. Welcome to episode two of the Sketchy Ladies podcast with Trish and Heather, where we explore the fundamentals of design and how these relate to design of our homes. In the first instalment of our four foundations of good design, we're talking about planning inside, outside and upside down. In today's episode, we'll discuss the planning of your project, including four of the most common planning challenges you'll face when designing a home, how to solve these challenges with good design and the cost of errors and how to avoid them. So in the challenge of planning, having a clear project start to finish and how delays can affect time and budget. So Heather, you would have dealt with some crazy long Timeframes of oh, planning and budgets. <laughs> planning, my background in commercial architecture, some projects can go for two, two and a half years. So it's really critical that you plan right from the beginning. And I think this is one of the things that people underestimate when they come to designing a house is how long the process actually takes. So from design to completion can be anywhere from 12 to 18 months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's a fairly standard sort of time frame. So people think, oh, it just gets designed really quickly and, and, and built, but everything takes time. So... When you come into doing a project, you really need to have a clear plan of where you're going and have realistic timeframes about what you're trying to achieve. It's also getting your head around what delays might come up, isn't there? So there's not always delays that are controlled by the designer, but they're also controlled by the the client and also the subconsultants. And also regulations or councils. I mean, you, you can submit your plans to council and it might take a lot longer than you've anticipated. There's a lot of things in design that are outside our control. So what we can control, though, is the process initially of briefing and designing it, doing all that sorts of things. But then once it goes to external parties like council, it's totally at their discretion as to how long that process can take. And so people, again can underestimate if they've got something that's not quite aligned with exactly what the council wants, it can take quite a long time to actually get approved. So there's not only the planning of the the design process, there's also the planning of the build and also the minus, the smaller nitty-gritty planning, isn't it? Like the planning out of a bathroom or they're bringing the trades in through the, through the build. So the planning can be like a huge, broad subject. Oh, absolutely. And it's sometimes it's the little things. Like you might pick a tile that you think is beautiful, but there might be a 16-week lead time on mm. that. So when we talk about lead times, that's the time between when you uh, put an order in and to when you actually turns up on site. So we talk about lead times a lot because in our industry we're bound and, and programmed by those sort of lead times. And so one of the first things we always do is check with the product or with what we're specifying is how long it's going to take to get there. It's yeah. really important. And the installation of it, so maybe a kitchen might take a few days to install or the planning required before that is huge, like 
it can be six months. Oh, right? absolutely. And that probably leads us on to our second big challenge, which is budget. So having a clear plan and a budget is really imperative. So many people start out the process without really having a clear indication of budget. So it's really important that if you are going to design your home that you go and see what the costs are at the moment because building costs are changing all the time. And What we're finding with supply issues because of events happening around the world, we no longer just buy product from our local corner store. We're getting products from overseas all the time. And so, again, the lead times on those can be really long and that can cause budget blowouts. Yeah, that's right. And I suppose that the supply of those items can change over that time too, can't they? So that tile that we really liked might not be available in six months' time when you actually need it. So allowing for those sort of things in your planning too and budget. So in regards to budget and financing, I see a lot of clients, they have an initial idea of what they want to spend and then there's the reality of what they, yeah. what it's going to be. <laughs> but I, I like to always – I stage my projects, so in three. So the first one is that concept stage. So we always – Revisit, let's go back to your financial provider. Where's it sitting with the budget? Let's talk to the builder. Where's it sitting with the budget? And just revisiting that constantly through the whole job. And see, that's so practical, but that's a big step that a lot of people don't do. They don't undertake that. So they start with an idea of what it's going to cost and then are thoroughly disappointed when their beautiful plan comes in at twice the price. Yeah, <laughs> and you've got already got building approval. It's too late by then. <laughs> exactly. And in this day and age too, banks are getting tighter and tighter in their lending. So you really need to have a very clear and defined budget, particularly if you're building. They're not going to just keep extending and extending that. And the last thing you want is you get three quarters of the way through a build and run out of money. Yeah. Yeah, very common. And the builder themselves can run out of money too because that's another scary factor. So with timelines, we're talking, again, multiple timelines over the whole project, aren't we? We're talking about how long does that planning process or that concept stage start and then how long does the documentation periods and then also the actual getting ready for building, so doing your selections and then going into the actual build. So there's so many parts of that timeline and each of them can blow out hugely. Absolutely. So when we talk about timelines, what we're really saying is how long will it take? So there's the overall. So if you think of the large scale, the overall project, how long is that going to take? And then break it down into very small tasks at the very end where it could be how long is it going to take the tiler to finish the tiling so I can get the (laughs) fittings put in and things like that. So timelines, are there's so many involved in a project. And so I think the easiest thing to do is start with your big timeline and then work your way back and break it down into smaller and smaller steps till you get to your build stage and then it becomes really critical with coordination of trades, etc. is fitting those timelines together. So we do programs as professionals. So we have software that helps us program things in, durations, and it comes out like a big bar chart. Mm. And then we can follow those and track those through. So from an industry perspective, we are very, very careful about timelines because obviously with budgets and funding and that sort of thing, obviously there's usually requirements of when they're, when they're available and when they need to be spent. So that's part of our whole professional life is following programs yeah. <laughs> and timelines. And it's funny how I find both planning and timelines can come together as well. So we've talked about how long that planning process can go for. But what I find really interesting is how someone's life can change in two years. So someone can come to me with their home design and their kids are little babies or they might have teenagers. And by the time the actual project's built and they move in, these teenagers are pretty much grown out or moving out or moved off to university and the requirements for the homes change. So it's forward planning for what went by the time the actual build's going to happen too. 
And I guess also when we're talking planning and timelines, you've also got to look at that in the perspective of your whole life. So this is going to be probably the biggest investment you'll ever make. So if this is going to be your forever home, then just think about, well, your kids are with us forever, but it's such a short time period and a lifetime of a building. Generally, our building industry standard is about 50 years from I mean buildings are very strong and structural so they they last a long time and with technology they're getting better and better so if you think of what's this house going to have to do for the next 50 years it's a really good way to frame how you might tackle the design so one thing I'm really supportive of is aging in place so if people are towards the latter end of their life that you make sure that you design everything to future proof it. Yeah it's a big move and the aging in place is allowing for wider doorways for the chance for wheelchairs or access like that so bathrooms would have extra panels in the wall to allow for grab rails all those sort of things allowing for that planning as we get older. Absolutely. And not putting stairs between mm. your circulation spaces so if you do have a fall or something, you're yeah. not stuck in we the lounge room on the couch. You live on one level, can't you? The other big challenge, we've talked about planning budget and timeline, is quality. And this is massive because often it's the old champagne lifestyle on a beer budget. What we want to do is we want to really nail what level of style and finish we're wanting to achieve and work out what the budget is for that. Everybody wants beautiful houses, but some of the high-end stuff costs a fortune. So it really is imperative that you work out what quality will fit in with your budget. I see it the other way too. Is like you see the, the hacks from Kmart. There's some amazing, very clever ways of making your home look amazing in the photos. But when you actually look a bit closer, that quality is lacking. So knowing what to expect at what price point I think is really important. It's really all about expectations and quality is one of those things in products it's easier to see. If you buy something that's got an obvious fault in it, if you go to the supermarket and buy a can that's got a dent in it, you think, well, okay, that's a problem, that's poor quality. But in the building industry, the poor quality things can be really detrimental. It could be things hidden behind walls, it can be poor structure. Some of the horror stories we've seen of high-rise buildings in Sydney are the things that you can't see ordinarily and they cause really poor outcomes and that's just really derived from very poor quality construction and planning at the time. Quality is massive. When you talk to your clients about quality of finishes, what sort of conversations do you have around that? Generally price point. Price point is definitely a big one and the longevity and the functionality of the product and the maintenance of the product. So especially like marble, everyone loves their marble. It's a big trend of the last five years. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. But natural marble stains very easily, it's a high maintenance and it's very expensive. You can get a lower maintenance product, looks very similar, not real marble, but still expensive. You've got to weighing up all those points is something to review. And the other thing too is the quality of finish. When we talk about finishes inside, we're looking at our walls and our floors and our ceilings. They're what we typically call finishes and carpets, that sort of thing. Quality can also be how you do junctions, how you hang your curtains or your blinds, that sort of thing. It can be all the trimming bits, the bits that maybe you're not used to having to look at. There's fine details. (laughs) Yeah, as simple as where the wall joins the ceiling. That's a really important junction and there is expensive ways to do it and there's cheaper ways to do it. So a good example of that is what we call a cornice, which is the joint that goes between the wall and the ceiling. And a normal half-round cornice, Scotia cornice, is the cheap version. The expensive version is when the two, the wall and the ceiling meet in a beautiful square finish, but that's expensive. Well, it's labour. Labour is the most expensive part, especially plastering. There's some good plasters out there as well and there's some pretty bad ones. So quality comes into it. So again, you might be going for the look of the square joint, but if the plastering's poor, then 
just looks awful. You've definitely you've not got what you paid for ultimately. I think the other thing to think of too is quality is also about enduring quality. It's products that are going to last over time. In our harsh environment in Australia, there's lots of products that for various reasons can degrade over time, either with sunlight or if you're in close proximity to the ocean, lots of things can affect it, for example, with roofing products. Part of that is I need to make sure that if I'm spending the money, I have to get the quality of product that will withstand the elements. That's really important. Sometimes you have to sacrifice the look or the intent that you want it to meet the quality requirements or the area, like you say, coastal. If you have to look at a particular product differently because, like say, timber, you might not want the maintenance that comes with the timber, but you might like the more driftwood look, which is perfect for a beach coastal as well. It's weighing up the quality versus the longevity of the product. When we're designing things, we factor all those in because we're design professionals, so we're constantly thinking about all of these things. But there really is a lot to consider, isn't there, Trish, when you're dealing a house? Yeah, there's so many things, not only internal finishes, because that's why we seem to think we are all the time. That's what we think about initially. But then the external finishes and the maintenance and then even the landscaping. One thing we're really big on is a really holistic approach to everything. When we're looking at a project, we're considering everything right the way through. No stones left unturned, you might say. But all of these things come into play. This is what we're saying. We're saying the planning, the budget, the timeline and the quality. If you forget or are not careful with all of these things, then you'll not only get problems, you'll get cost. The cost will blow out, timeframes will blow out. The planning, you're not planning for the things that you'd wish you'd put in there as well or being cautious of. All those things come together as a whole thing, don't they? The other thing too is... If you want a level of quality and your budget doesn't quite allow it, you can also look at perhaps staging certain things if you can't afford it initially. It's always good to have the master plan of where you're going. Our master plan is our helicopter view, if you like. It's our plan for the future. And you can break that down into smaller parts. For example, if you can only afford the house but you really want a granny flat or something at a later date or a studio, then that can go into your master plan. When we do big commercial buildings and big sites, we're always master planning beyond what we're building because it's really important that in the future if you want to come back and add something, there's a space or there's the allowance to do that. It also helps when you're thinking about your empty site if you're standing next to what we call a greenfield site so something that's got nothing on it what's the future of that going to need to do for you if you've got small kids are you going to need outdoor areas are you going to need cubby houses if you've got an elderly parent that may need to move in with you in the future you're going to need provision for a granny flat when we're talking about planning it really is a very holistic process isn't it I have to agree with the future planning like I know we had to future plan for our puppy dog (laughs) where are the gates and the fences going to go It can be on all levels and all scales, can it? Yeah, that's right. When we go into future podcasts, what we're talking about first always is our planning. So it doesn't matter what we're doing, number one thing we do is plan. So a lot of people might not know where to start. A good place is trying to find some inspiration. Social media has lots of inspiration or aspirational (laughs) shots. So we're not saying get the mags and say this is what I'm building. But what it's about is establishing the sort of look and feel that you like. Then you've got a really good idea of where you're heading and that can also inform you about your styles and quality of finishes, the types of products you like and that in turn will then give your designer, if you've got a designer, a really good understanding of what it is that you like and and what you're going for. Yeah, it's that end goal, having that mood board or that idea of what that end goal is being and then working back with that plan. As designers, we're very creative, but it's really helpful to have input from the client about the sorts of things that they want, the styles, the colours, the look, the feel, to frame 
what you can design. And also if there's a mismatch, if it's something that you personally really don't like the look and style of, uh, I wouldn't go and design something that I really don't like. That brings me to the next thing, that you can actually go searching for an architect or a designer who has that particular style or aesthetic shown previously in the other work. Some designers will come through with very clear style or aesthetic that stays consistent for each of the clients. You might go sourcing for that and other ones that just might not be your fit and if you get stuck with something that you don't like, that's that pretentious side of it coming through isn't it yeah absolutely certain architects have certain styles and they will be very very specific about the fact that they will only design something that Mm. looks like something else they've already designed which if that's what you want is fantastic if you want something slightly different to that you might find that you're in opposition to what they want to do a lot of them have their little rule books and they're like no no i just will not do that again it really comes down to what your style is and what you like if you are looking for a design professional most of us have portfolios on our websites that show designs and things like that that we've done it's always a good place to start too you can google anything these days definitely it just made me think i've got to update my gallery (laughs) (laughs) we use galleries of photos of projects that we've done and things like that but the other thing too is you've got to be comfortable with your design professional if you are going to hire one again it comes down to personality and the the way you communicate with each other and that's doing the research isn't it and educating yourself and it's doing the research on not only the professional but also the industry and what products and getting your ideas together so that you can help communicate so communication is a big big key isn't it between not only yourself and the designer and back and forth both ways. We also have people called project managers in our world and project managers are just another term for people that communicate and coordinate jobs. Usually Trish and I as design professionals will be the leaders for a group of people. If we have consultants that help us design the structure of a building or consultants that will do the design of the electrical and light fittings, those sorts of things, we coordinate those. But you can also have a project manager which is a person that's they're simply to communicate to everybody that's really their whole role and again they will often run the planning and monitor the budget and the timeline and the quality but when you're designing your own house you can be your own project manager to a certain extent if you're educated and you know what you're doing yeah that's right and with a good builder too that's happy for that especially if they've got really good schedules in place and their communication is good then you've got a really great open line as the project manager for yourself. Where I see people fall down a bit and this can be the costly mistake is that they start project managing but don't really understand all the intricacies. I'm going to project manage my own bathroom but I don't really know that where the plumbing has to go. I've just picked this tap or I've picked this basin and not having the understanding of how it all needs to interconnect means that you're only getting a very small piece of the puzzle. That's what we can do in the Scribble Club. We can help guide you through that process, not only through education but providing those step-by-step processes. We do a lot of planning in our professional world and part of that is just systems and processes. We repeat similar tasks over and over again but it's different every time because we're designing something different, we're picking different finishes but effectively what it comes down to is if you've got a really rigorous process or system that you follow – you don't make silly mistakes. No, and that saves money. (laughs) That's right. And the other part of that too is the budget. Where I do see a lot of people go wrong and even a lot of our own industry professionals is that they want to design the most magnificent thing but it comes at a cost and they're not willing to budge on the quality so therefore the client has to pay the cost. 
before the project falls over. Not literally. <laughs> the project just stopped, doesn't get built. And I've seen that many times as well. And I think that's education and that's what we can do in this group of club is provide that education and go, well, where is the price point going to sit? So you're aware of it early on. I've had many clients get very carried away and want the steam showers and they want the pool and they, they want all those things. And it's like, well, that just keeps adding and it comes back on me to say, well, you've over overdone it and I think that's where that education for the client is really important. Yeah, that's so true. And the other thing to remember with your shopping list is it's not just the item. So a lot of people will buy things in isolation and say, oh, this basin or this bath is magnificent. It might cost $2,500 but it's beautiful. But they don't understand all the add-on costs that go with that. So you've got delivery costs, you've got plumbing costs, you've got installation costs and everything adds up. There's a thing we call margins. There's a margin on everything. So a margin is a markup that happens on products and also if you've got a project manager running every time the budget goes up the project manager gets a a little bit more margin like a little bit more Mm. money to be paid so what starts out as a slight overrun in one thing is like a domino effect and adds up to a very large overrun at the end of a project and that can happen during the project too is that replanning you're on site and you go actually I want to move that wall or I want to change this or that that can actually then come back to having to go back to drawings back to council and that just keeps adding in more changes and they're going to charge you along every step of the way if you only take one thing away from this podcast today it's change equals dollars change (laughs) costs money (laughs) we love change but the whole point of planning properly in the first place is to avoid changes later in the build and they can be very very costly it's probably a bit different if somebody really doesn't like a wall or something that says, oh, I just had no idea that's what it was going to look like. It's really not what I wanted. That is probably a little bit more easy to deal with than a whole internal reconfiguration. Yeah. Oh, and plumbing that's casting concrete. Don't move that basin. <laughs> just so everybody understands, when you're designing a house, most of our services have to go through things, to go through our slabs and underground and be cabled. So you don't just simply get to move a shower from one wall to the other because all of your plumbing and your wastewater and everything's already been put into a certain location. So this is where we say if you suddenly decide, oh, look, the bath would look so much better on the other side of the room, wow, that's going to cost you some dollars. Yeah, be prepared, <laughs> especially if it's your change. If it's a builder change, then there's some contractual things to get into there. But we've really covered off today our challenges which is a planning budget timeline and quality and the solution to a good home design and how to avoid all these errors that we've talked about is either using a professional designer or doing the research yourself and educating yourself about all these things and luckily enough we have our very own scribble club which is full of awesome people that are designing or just renovating or just wanting to style their own place really take control of what they're doing from mini makers to brand new dream homes Awesome. So exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it's got lots of fun. So thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Sketchy Ladies podcast. Join us for our next episode where we'll discuss designing the inside of our homes. This episode was brought to you by the Scribble Club, our signature group coaching program to help women design beautiful, functional, healthy homes. Check it out at thescribbleclub.com along with so many free resources to help you design and deliver the dream spaces in your home and get the results that you deserve. If you loved this episode, please don't keep it a secret. Share it with your friends on social media and tag us at The Scribble Club. We love hearing from our listeners and seeing your reactions to our episodes. We'd also love for you to leave a review on your favourite podcast platform. Your feedback helps us grow and improve our content. It also helps other listeners to find our show. Have a wonderful day. We're the Sketchy Ladies and we're behind you all the way.